Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. been speaking to your heart amen you know when we open the word church he's so faithful he's so faithful he speaks in in powerful powerful ways we just have to open our hearts open our ears to receive the truth that he has for us amen the word of God is impactful it doesn't matter if you've read the same verse a million times the same verse still has power amen It's never powerless because we've heard it before. It's still powerful because our God is alive and well. Amen. And the word is alive. Amen. The word is alive and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. Amen. So we always have something that we can receive when we get into the word. Amen. And so I want us just to, I've got a lot to say, so I'll just quickly get into tonight's message. I'm not going to recap from last week. But last week we talked about Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. If you don't know it, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness, for they will be what? They will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Tonight we're going to go on to to, to verse 7, and we're going to be talking about God's mercy. Amen. It was so fitting that DJ read Lamentations chapter 3 to you uh, just a moment ago when we begun worship because there's a different translation than, than mine reads, but it says, Yet this I call to hope, and th- uh, this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. It says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. It says, For his compassions never fail. But, but uh, another version says, For his mercies never fail, for they are new every morning. The mercy of God woke you up today. Amen. The mercy of God woke us up today that we could be alive in Jesus, that we could fulfill the purpose and the assignment from God for our life every single day. It was the mercy of God. And and, and it's so fitting that the Bible says that the mercy is renewed every day because guess what? We need mercy every day. Amen. We need mercy just to get through the day. Amen. I don't know about, you know, your jobs or your, or your daily life, but sometimes you find out that your daily life can be challenging. And you need the mercy of God in, in all kinds of situations. But because we're talking about mercy tonight, I don't even need a sermon because you're looking at an object of mercy. My life has been spared because of Jesus Christ. Your life has been spared Because of his love for you. Because of his great love. It said his great love we are not consumed. Because of that fact, the mercy of God remains in our life. If God didn't love us, he wouldn't offer us mercy. Amen. But because he loves us, the Bible says that he offers it to us every single day, fresh and anew. Rolf Barnard said this, he said, mercy is God's favor that holds back from us what we deserve. Amen. I'll say it one more time. Mercy is God's favor that holds back from us what we deserve. But grace is God's favor that gives us what we do not deserve. How many of you need the mercy and the grace of God? Amen. Would you wake up with me tonight? Just for the rest of you, some, some of y'all are like slouching in your seat already. I know I got a soothing voice, but, but I just feel like preaching the word of God, and I need you to help me a little bit. Amen. Every single one of us 
is here because of the mercy of God. We are here because of God's mercy. Our sins deserved the punishment of the cross. We can't lose sight of that. We can't overlook that to say, you know what, I'm good because I come to church or I'm good because I serve in church or I'm good because, you know, my parents brought me to church my, every single day of my life. No, my friend, our sins deserve the punishment of the cross, but instead that punishment was placed on a perfect Savior. Instead, the punishment of our sin, the punishment of the wicked things that we've done in our life because of the lifestyle of unforgiveness, the lifestyle of, of being, you know, you know, just, you know, jealous of envious, the, the lifestyle of hoarding things, the things that we do in our flesh that we don't realize that we do, church. All of those things desperately need the mercy of God. They desperately need the mercy of God. I repeat tonight, church, that I am here because of God's mercy. I want you to repeat it with me tonight. Say, I am here because of God's mercy. We are spared because of the mercy of God. Let's read that verse in Matthew 5 and verse 7. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's pray for the word tonight. Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you. We just pray, Lord, tonight that your word, oh God, would speak. Lord, you would use me as a vessel, Lord, that the words, God, that would come out of my mouth, Lord, be, would be led by you, Lord. They would not be my own, Father. And, Lord, I pray for every listening ear, every listening heart, God, to just receive from the truth of your word tonight. In your precious and mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. If we go back to the beginning of this study when we started a few weeks ago, the word beatitude means blessedness or blessed are. It is a description of those belonging to the kingdom of heaven. And so I want us to look at this verse a little deeper and, and, and just understand, you know, you know, the description of mercy. The merciful are described like this. It's to have a forgiving spirit and a compassionate heart. These are the merciful. To have a forgiving spirit and a compassionate heart, it is showing mercy and being benevolent. It's forgiving those who are wrong. How many of you have ever known somebody that's wrong? Yeah, yeah, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, 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 you live in the same house as them, right? You know somebody that's wrong. It's like, oh, my, they're wrong. We're never the wrong one, right? We're never the one that's, you know, at fault. You know, it's always somebody else's fault. Somebody else is always wrong. It says the merciful is for those who forgive those who are wrong. That is a merciful individual. It says, yet, but it's so much more than that. It's also empathy. Empathy is this. It's getting right inside of that person's life and feeling what they are going through right along with them. How many of you have ever, you know, just been bedside with somebody that was hurting? You've sat with an individual who could have been a loved one, somebody that you care for deeply, and you know that they were going through a tragic situation in, in their life, and, and you just sat there to just, just go through the pain with them. We have a merciful Father that does exactly this with us, and exactly that for us. So mercy is also empathy. It's a deliberate effort and act of the will to understand the individual and to meet their needs by forgiving and showing mercy. It is the opposite of being hard. 
Sometimes we have that hardness in our hearts that, that creeps up, you know, at times because we think that, you know, you know, somebody offends us and all of a sudden I was talking to somebody before service and I, I talked about it like this, you know, you know, how many of you have ever stepped on a, a spina, right? You know, a, a, a thorn, right? You've stepped on a thorn and it hurts. Most of the time you can't even see it, right? You're like, ask, I'm asking Mandy, like, hey, check my foot. You know, I can't, even, I can't even see the bottom of my own foot. And she'll look down there and she'll, she'll look for this teeny little speck. But did you know, church, that if you don't take that little tiny thorn out of your life, if you don't remove it, it can get infected. And if it gets infected, it can harm your foot. And if your foot's infected, it can harm your leg. And if your leg's infected, it can harm the rest of your body. What's my point? You have to address it, right? You have to address that thing. And so that hardness sometimes that comes into our hearts because of the offense of somebody towards us needs to be addressed. Amen. Those things that sometimes a person crosses you in church. And I'll say this because, you know, I can say this. All y'all always sit in the same spots every week. It's just like creatures of habit, right? But God forbid you walked into church on Sunday morning and somebody was sitting in your chair. Be like, man, I can't even worship. I don't even know where to go. And there's 600 other seats in here. Sometimes it's the smallest things that create the biggest offense. It's the smallest things. It's these little tiny things. It's the Bible. Jesus said it was those little foxes that would destroy much harvest. It's those little things. And so, and so we see here, church, that, that a merciful individual, they're not hard in their heart. They're not unforgiving and unfeeling, but, but they're those that feel. They're those that realize there's something there that has to be dealt with. God forgives only those who what? Forgive others. I'll say it one more time. God forgives only those who forgive others. That is, a person receives mercy only if they are merciful. Only if they are merciful. And so I love how, you know, that is, you know, defined as empathy. How mercy is defined as empathy because that is feeling what another individual felt. That is a powerful, powerful thing. Have you ever been right but told you were wrong? Has that ever happened to anybody? You know, you knew you were right, but you were told that you were wrong, right? Have you ever been judged but knew in your heart that the judgment that somebody was bringing against you was false, right? Have you ever been accused of something but you knew you were innocent? Jesus has felt what you have felt. Amen. Jesus has dealt with what you have dealt with. And God wouldn't have been merciful if Jesus hadn't come to earth. You see, God wouldn't be a God of mercy if he hadn't sent his son to die for our sins. But the beautiful thing about this is he did. Amen. He sent his son and he walked and he lived and he talked upon this earth and he showed mercy upon the people of this earth. He lived through the same pains, hurt and betrayal just like you have. But yet he was still merciful. A person receives mercy only when they are merciful Mercy is not something that God has, but it's something that God is. 
Mercy isn't just a, a, an attribute, you know, that, that, that God can give you or offer to your life so that you could be a better Christian. But mercy is something who God is. And the whole point of these scriptures is that these would be the characteristics of a believer. These are the very markings of the fruit of the Spirit of God in your life. That you would be an individual that would show mercy. And so I want to talk about the attitude of mercy just for a few minutes and why every believer should live it. Number one, if you're, if you're writing down notes, you can just write this down. A merciful person has a tender heart. A merciful person has a tender heart. That is a heart that cares for all needs and all those who have needs, both seen or unseen needs. That is, they see the needful and they, they have a heart of compassion for those people and they will reach out to do everything that they can. And if they do not see them, they, they feel and they reach out through prayer and, and they give as the opportunity arises. That's what showing mercy looks like. The merciful just don't hoard or hold back any kind of help, no matter the cost. The merciful do not withhold help. Ask yourself that question tonight in your heart and in your mind. Are you merciful? Think about it just for a moment. Are you an individual that's merciful? When you see an individual that's in need, do you honestly desire to help? Do you help at all? Are you willing to go out of your way to meet the individual's need? Do you simply not care? Think about these things. Or are you looking more to get than you are to give? See, the Bible is clear to tell us that Christ can forgive when we forgive others. And he can show mercy towards us when we are merciful towards others. But there is no middle ground. There is no middle ground. In order to receive forgiveness, we must forgive. It's not, I can just withhold all this anger and this bitterness in my heart and be an unforgiving, unmerciful individual and think that God is going to pour out his mercy upon my life. You see, when we come to the knowledge of the truth, therefore we are now accountable to what the truth says. Amen. Now we're accountable because we know. Can't make up any excuse anymore because now we know what the truth is concerning these things. And so Jesus was asked this question by Peter. He said, Lord, how many times, how many times should we forgive our brother or our sister who has sinned against us? Seven times? Pretty convenient for Peter, right? He offers a number. He's like, you know... I know I denied you three times. Do I have at least four more chances with you, Lord? Do I have at least four more opportunities? He says, how many times should we forgive our brother or sister that sinned against us up to seven times? And Jesus answered, not seven times, but 77 times. And then he proceeded in Matthew 18 to share this story. Verse 23, if you're following along, Matthew 18, it says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven... Is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Well, hang on a second. If you owe 10,000 bags of gold, you've got spending issues. <laughs> Hopefully you don't owe anybody 10,000 bags of gold. But this guy owed 10,000 bags of gold. And it says the settlement began, he owed him 10,000 bags of gold and he was brought to him. 
And since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. What did he order? He, his wife, and his children and all they had to be sold to repay the debt. That's a lot. Would you give up your family for the debt that you owed? Would you give up all your possessions for the debt that you owed? Listen to what it goes on to say. At this, at hearing this, the servant fell on his knees before him and he said, be patient with me. And he begged, he said, I will pay back everything. Verse 27 says, the servant's master took pity on him and he canceled the debt and he let him go. I can tell you an honest testimony. Years ago, I was hospitalized in 2011. Some of you remember that. I was sick for months, and it was kind of this crazy, weird, mysterious sickness that came upon me. It led so much that I ended up being in the hospital for a week, and I was quarantined. And, you know, they, doctors were wearing, like, spacesuits when they went in the, the room to check on me. I had, you know, crazy fever. I was coughing like crazy. They didn't know what was wrong with me. And how many of you know that a hospital is the most expensive hotel that you could ever visit? Anybody? Yeah, all right. Anybody ever got a hospital bill? Well, thank God I got out. I was well. They gave me some medications, released me after, you know, this few-month ordeal. But then the bill came. And I was like, oh, man, you know, see this bill, and it's this huge bill. Like tens of thousands, you know, upwards, I think, of $100,000. And I'm going like, well, that's like another house payment, <laughs> you know. So they obviously negotiate with you. They say, how much can you spend, blah, blah, blah. You know, we do that whole thing, and we start making payments on the bill. And we, we call again to, to make a payment. And we say, yes, you know, we need to make a payment for this account, for this debt, you know, da-da-da, whatever. Give them my information. And they say, what was your name again? And I give them my name again and go through it. And, and they said, I'm sorry, sir, you know, we can't find anything with your name. Can you please give us your name again? I'm like, I'm the only Duke in the Valley. You're like, come on, it can't be that hard to find, right? you got to have me in your computer. And they keep going through it, and I give them my full name. I give them my middle name, you know, everything. And they go through it, and they say, sir, there's no debt with your name on it. And I said, are you serious? And they said, sir, there is no debt with your name on it. And I remember my wife and I looked at each other. We're like, you know, that's like when you're, what's that thing that you hit, like when you're in Monopoly? You know, like you just won, like, the whole prize or whatever that thing is. I forget what it's called. And I, I was so in awe. I said, you, you're, you're kidding me, right? Like, I pay my bills. I'm a responsible guy. My name's got to be there, right? They said, no, sir, your name is not here. You don't owe us anything. And I said, send me a letter right now <laughs> telling me that, I, telling and confirming that I don't owe you. And they sent us a letter. I cannot even tell you how it is that God orchestrated something like that for me or in my favor. But I was so grateful because even God knew I didn't have what was necessary to pay it back. 
I didn't have what was necessary to pay that thing back. Verse 27, he says here, the servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt and he let him go. He canceled the debt and let him go. But verse 28 says, when, the, when that servant went out and he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins, not 10,000 bags of gold, just 100 silver coins, it goes on to say he grabbed him and he began to choke him. And he said, pay back what you owe me, he demanded. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. He said, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged and they told their master everything that happened. The master called the servant in. He said, you wicked servant. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And verse 35 says, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. It's a powerful story. Sometimes we hold on to the tiniest of offenses and we demand that the person pay us back. We demand that they make it right. We demand that they come crawling back to their knees and, and beg us for forgiveness and, and all these kinds of things. And there's no shred of mercy flowing from our life. See, the mercy of God, church, is a direct result of our obedience to forgive others. The mercy of God is a direct result of our obedience to forgive somebody else. Luke 6 and verse 37 says, Do not judge or you will be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Amen. Forgive and you will be forgiven. We've heard of people and men in this life and in this world being ruthless. Being merciless people that have no regard for humanity. Those that don't even bat an eye at the sight of another person being killed or punished. But this isn't who Jesus was, church. This isn't who he was at all. He had and showed a tender heart towards all of mankind. Forgiving all as an example of how life was supposed to be lived because we've been forgiven by our Father in heaven. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 says, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You see, the difference between called, being called the church and really being the church is mercy. I'll say that one more time. The difference between being called the church and being the church is mercy. It's removing our eyes from what we see and realizing the hurt, the broken, the unforgiven, the lost, the shallow, the prideful, the lustful, the hateful, the persecuted, the unbelieving world. Just realizing what they could become if we would show mercy. Just realizing what an individual that, that maybe does not yet possess Jesus in their heart. What would they look like if they were shown mercy? I spoke to a young man uh, right here at the altar on Sunday after church and had the opportunity to pray for his family. And, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me just about his life just for a moment. I, I, I saw myself in him for a second. 
12-year-old young man, and I, and I looked at him in the eyes, and I said, I said, uh, do, you, do you love music? You know, is like music a thing for you? And he says, I, oh, I asked him if he was a musician. He says, well, well, I'm not a musician, but I make music. Like he does music like at the computer and stuff like that. And I, and I just, I saw it right away. And I told him, I said, listen, young man, I said, the Lord has a tremendous purpose for your life. I said, that gift that he gave you, I said, you didn't even know it came from him. I said, but that gift is from God. And that gift, my friend, will be used to just break chains off of people's lives when you use it for his glory. And he just looked at me and he started crying, you know, because he's never, you know, had anybody tell him that. And the Holy Spirit was drawing him to him. Mercy sees in an individual what they have not yet become. If Jesus didn't believe that your life could have purpose, he would have never died for you. If he didn't believe that your life could not be just a powerfully used by the kingdom of God, then he would have never sacrificed his life. But he loved you enough that he said that he, I am going to prepare a place for them that they would be with me forever. He loved us enough that he said, I will sacrifice everything that I am so that the penalty that they deserve doesn't have to be on their life because I will take that penalty for them. That's good news, amen? That's what mercy looks like. If we would show the world the mercy of God and we would live in such a way and we would refrain from arguing, that's a good point nowadays. Hopefully y'all haven't been online doing all that arguing stuff. Amen? Can we be bigger than that? Somebody say amen. All right. Poke your neighbor and say, stop it, man. Stop it. He knows what you're doing. <laughs> we need to relent to argue. We need to refrain from making our point, And we need to refuse to make a bad example of Jesus. We need to refuse to make a bad example of Jesus and simply love one another, and that is to display the holiness of our God. John 13 and verse 34 says, A new command that I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. It says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The second thing that we see about an individual that's merciful is that they love, they have the love of God dwelling in their heart. They have the love of God dwelling in their life. Again, in order, in order to be merciful, you what? Have to have the heart of God. You have to possess the heart of God in your life. You have to be able to put yourself in that individual's shoes and think for a minute that that's probably not a great place to be. Think for a minute of an individual that's going through something that's, that's, you know, just, you know, suffered tragic loss or some kind of thing in their life that they're experiencing in that minute. And, but you have to be able to put yourself in their shoes through the love of God. The merciful person loves and cares for the condition of others. It should break your heart when you see individuals that are going through all kinds of pain and torment and hurt and mental abuse in this world that we live in. 
It should trouble your mind. It should cause you to bend your knee in prayer. It should cause you to rise up and act and do something about the things, the injustices and the, the things that you are experiencing, the things that others experience in your world. It should cause you to get up and move and do something about those things. The merciful individual shows compassion and empathy. They may not have the physical answer, but certainly they can call upon Jesus to answer any problem. That's what the merciful individual does. 1 John 3 and 17 says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Wow. If anyone has material possessions, sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? He says, dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I love this version of the message version of 1 John 3, 17 says this. If you see a brother or sister in need, in need and have the means to do something about it, but turn a cold shoulder and do nothing, what happens to God's love? It says it disappears and you made it disappear. <laughs> Deuteronomy 15 and verse 7. If there is a poor man among your brothers and if any, in, in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your brother, but rather be open-handed and freely lend to him whatever he needs. You see, the merciless would tell the beggar to get a job. I've ministered to individuals on the side of the road, individuals that are homeless, individuals that are, you know, outside of restaurants, you know, asking for food, people in parking lots. And I'll never forget this, two individuals that I met in Portland, Oregon, when I was there visiting my brother. I was there for a week, and I remember I had called my wife, and I had really asked God, I said, you know, other than spending time with my with my, my brother, I, I really felt like there was something else that God had for me to do in Portland. And I kind of felt like I hadn't fulfilled that purpose. I was like, man, God, you know, I've been here a week. I've been away from my family. I've been away from my church. And I, I actually felt convicted. I said, I've, I've just been gone too long. Lord, do something. And as I'm walking down the side of the road, I had grabbed a cup of coffee, and I was talking to my wife, and, and I walked past these two individuals. There was this, this, this man and this woman on the side of the road, and the Holy Spirit instantly told me to stop. So I just, I hit the brakes, and... I, I, I told my wife, I said, hey, you know what, uh, let me call you right back. I need to talk to these people. So I hung up the phone, and I go to the side, and they had a sign on the, in front of them, and they were asking, you know, for money, and, and they were obviously poor. They were obviously, you know, just in a really bad spot. And so I just struck up a conversation with them. I started listening to them, and they just began to talk and talk and talk. They shared so much about their life with me. They shared how, how they were, the, the one man, his, 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 his father was, uh, I believe he had died of an overdose, and his mom was a heroin addict, and he was living in the streets at the age of like 13 years old. And he began to live a life, he called himself a trainee. He actually would get in trains, and he said, I know the whole Pacific Northwest, every single railroad. He said, I've been on every single one. I jump in trains illegally, and I just go wherever they take me, and I wake up in a different city every day. 
And then the, 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 the girl that was with him, she tells me the same thing. She's like, yeah, you know, my family, they abandoned me, you know, since I was about 15. And she was from like back east, like Pennsylvania or somewhere over there. And, and she said that she met him because a train took her from Pennsylvania all the way to Portland, Oregon, like literally all the way across the United States. And they had been traveling together all these years. And I'm listening to them and, and they start telling me all this stuff. And, and my heart is just compassionate. I don't know about you, but I don't know what it's like to, to lose my parents at such a young age to drugs and be forced to live a life on the street. They had nobody to come to their rescue. They had no family. They had nobody to, to reach out to them. And, and we, we were talking and talking and talking. And, and long story short, you know, I, I blessed on them with some money. And then they, they finally, they were like, man, you know, you're awesome. You know, thank you so much, you know, for talking to us. And they said, well, you know, you've been listening to us. You know, well, what about you? What do you do? And I'm like, <laughs> I said, well, actually, I'm a pastor. And they went like this. They said, every pastor we've met has never spoken to us like you. They always tell us that we're living in sin. They always tell us that we need to get a job. They always tell us that we're this and that. And, and they, just, they, were, they began to express to me how, how everyone they had met basically just didn't show them the love of God. I don't know about you. But if I was in their shoes, I would be so desperate and hungry for somebody to just show me, to give me an ounce of hope to go on to the next day. Somebody to just simply say, hey, you know what? Jesus loves you. You know what? God loves you. And God can transform your life. God can remove the root of all the pain and all the things that you're dealing with. And I asked him to stand up and we began to pray right there in the street corner in Portland, Oregon. And I prayed over them. They accepted Christ into their heart. They received Jesus into their heart. And I just told him, I said, listen, God, God has a tremendous plan for your life. I don't even know what it is. I'm just believing that one day I'm going to meet him and encounter him again. And, you know, if not here in heaven, but God's going to do something mighty through their life. You know, church, it just takes a moment to show mercy. It just takes a moment to step off, you know, uh, from ourselves and say, you know what? I can stop just for a second to listen. I can stop just for a second to do. I can stop just for a moment to, to help somebody that's in great need. You know what was even funnier about that story was when I hung up and, and I finished, and I have a picture of them on my phone, and I'd show it to you, but it's probably won't see it from here. But I took a picture with them, and, and then right there next to them, there was like a, you know those newspaper, like container things that are on the street where you can grab a newspaper, right? There was a box that was there, and it said, the week begins Wednesday. And for a guy that preaches every Wednesday night, that was pretty impactful for me. But that wasn't it. As soon as I began to walk back the direction where I had come from to call my wife, I looked up and I see that I'm standing on the corner of Duke Street. <laughs> if God didn't set that up, then that was a really awesome coincidence. <laughs> 
But I'm pretty sure it was the mercy of God. Because God said, listen, son, I have an assignment for you that I need you to fulfill. Even if it's all the way across the nation, there's somebody that's waiting to hear about my mercy. There's somebody that's waiting to hear about my love. There's somebody that's waiting to receive the compassion that you're going to offer them. And church, that's what the love of God does. When you've received from the love of God, when you've had the oil of heaven pour into your life and the sanctification of God and the purpose of God in your life, you can do nothing but offer that to somebody else. Come on, you can do nothing else but offer that to a life that is in desperate need, church. We need to be an open display of his love and his mercy to this world. Do you care? Do you have the love of God inside of your heart? Think about it. If you truly have the love of God inside of your heart, then you would care for somebody else. You would care for them. You would go out of your way to do for their life. 1 Timothy 1 and 15 says, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. He said, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Jesus Christ might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. You have been shown mercy so that you can offer mercy to somebody else. God's mercy is so great that the sooner you may sooner drain the ocean of its water or deprive the sun of its light or make space too small or narrow than diminish the great mercy that God has for his people. The ocean would get emptied before God's mercy would end church. He is a great God and he is full of mercy every single day. And lastly, the mercy know this, that it's always more blessed to give than it is to receive. It's always more blessed to give than it is to receive. A lot of people take this principle for granted. That is they melt it down just to a figure of speech. Oh yeah, it's more blessed to give than receive. However, the enemy has desired to rob in each and every person from the blessings that God has from their life. You see, you don't think that every, every you know, word that God has for us, every blessing that God has for us, the enemy doesn't want to snatch it away from your life? Of course he does. At any given moment, he wants to snatch that blessing out of your life and, and the things that God has in store for your life. He wants to pull away the blessings that, that, that are in store for you when you would give to meet the need of somebody else. And Paul felt it was necessary to remind the church at Ephesus during his final statement before his departure to Jerusalem. He said this in Acts 20 and verse 35. He says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak he said, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. When I read this verse, I was instantly reminded of the next verse that I'll share with you in Acts 3 and verse 2. Many of you know this story. It goes on to say this, there was a man who was lame from birth and he was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful. Where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And Peter said, look at us. 
So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from him. And then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. Now, let me stop there. Christians are quick to, you know, say, oh, I ain't got no coins. I ain't got no cash. I ain't got no credit card. I'll say it one more time. Oh, man, sorry, sorry, I ain't, I ain't got nothing to help you with. But you got an $8 cup of coffee in your hand. Ooh. Oh, wait, oh, man, geez, I must have left it, you know, somewhere else and this and that. No, 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 my friend. God will not be mocked. God sees all, knows all, knows the intentions of our hearts before we've ever seen it or done it or been there or whatever. And don't think, don't stop right there. Silver or gold I do not have. Peace. Oh, no, 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 no. Silver, gold, I do not have. You know, it's crazy that the Salvation Army would have to set up red buckets every year outside of every store just to get change from people to donate. <laughs> you know that we're one of the richest countries in the world, and yet we offer the poor our spare change. We offer the destitute our leftovers. We have places like Goodwill that are full of your clothes that maybe don't fit no more for certain reasons. I don't know. I'm not shaming anybody that goes there. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we give away our leftovers. When has God ever given you leftovers? When has God ever given you second hand? When has God ever failed to meet a need in your life that was obviously too great for you to meet on your own? Silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Verse 7, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. There's something that you need to notice right there. When you take the hand of an individual and you show them mercy and compassion, guess what? The healing happens. When you embrace an individual that's gone through heartache and, and hardship in their life and you put an arm around them just for a moment, healing happens. Right here in this moment, they could have walked right past him and said, silver or gold, I do not have. He said, no, but I do have something. If you are a believer in here tonight, let me remind you that you do have something. You possess the King of kings and the Lord of lords in your life. You have the very spirit of the living God inside of your life. Don't say you don't have nothing. That is to defame and that is to just diminish the, the name of Jesus in your life. Oh, I ain't got nothing. Oh, no, 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 my friend. Don't spit on Jesus like that. They already did it once. It doesn't need to be done again. You have the blood of Jesus. You have the name of Jesus, the conqueror of all conquerors, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. You can speak to anything. You can speak to anything. You can speak to any situation and pray over it. And God can do it because he is that kind of God. Verse 8, he jumped to his feet and he began to walk. And then they went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. It said when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit there begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened with him. 
It takes just a moment of mercy to change the course of an individual's life. It takes just a moment of you stepping out of yourself to say, you know what, I need to deny myself today. And I need to do something for somebody else's life. We're quick to deny coins. We're quick to deny cash, but we have zero excuse or permission to deny them Christ. Jesus takes mercy to a whole new level in Luke 6 and 36 when he said, love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to even the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. I was the ungrateful. I was the wicked. And I thank God that even before I ever acknowledged him in this world as Lord and Savior, he showed me mercy. I thank God that before I ever bowed down and confessed him as my personal savior, to know him and to live for him and to, to know his presence, he showed me mercy. He offered me what I could not receive on my own. He gave me what I didn't deserve. In church, if God... This God who is perfect and righteous, he's holy and blameless. If God would still be kind to the ungrateful and the wicked, then we have no excuse. You see, sometimes because an individual displays wickedness or unholiness in their life, we think that they're our enemy and they're not our enemy. Satan is our enemy. Satan is... The enemy, if it is still rains on the righteous and on the unrighteous, the blessings of God, they have to be shared even with the ungrateful and the wicked. This scripture is speaking of the legacy of our Father in heaven. Anytime it says this is how the Father is, that is his legacy. That's, that's who he is. It's part of his nature. It's something that he will forever be. And I have to ask us this question tonight. What will our legacy be? What will your legacy be in Christ? Will we be more known for our giving or our gossip? Will we be more known for our generosity or our grudges? Will our legacy be gratefulness and giving or judging and jealousy? What will your legacy be? What will you be remembered as? How will you be remembered by? I ask this because the, the question of the hour is, is that I believe the Lord wants to show us mercy. The Lord wants to rain his mercy upon your life. And I can tell you, church, how many times I have, you know, come in and out of my own dependence or independence from God at times. 
times where I desperately needed to lean on him, but I didn't because of my own pride, because of thinking I could handle my life on my own and this and that. And the truth is this, though, we all need the mercy that Christ died to give us. But he charges us with being merciful. He charges us with exemplifying this characteristic of God to those who we meet, to those who we come in contact with. Some may not have money or means to help, but they can always be tender and compassionate and demonstrate mercy through the expression of prayer, through, through the expression of help and giving. In fact, God instructs every believer to be merciful and he charges us to do some very practical things. I'll just give you the verses if you want to write them down. We won't read them, but Isaiah 58, verses 6 and 7. James 2.15, just write these verses down. He says in those verses, feed the hungry, shelter the poor, clothe the naked. In Job 16 and 15, he talks about strengthening and comforting the broken and the grieving souls. In Job 6.14, he talks about showing kindness to the afflicted. In Galatians 6.2, he talks about bearing the burden of others even to the point of restoring them when they sin. In Acts 20 and verse 35, he talks about supporting the weak. And the results of doing these things, church, are what the scripture says in Matthew 25 and verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. He said, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. He said, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Verse 37 says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you as a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? Then the king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He said, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you never looked after me. I will also answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. As I ask you to stand to your feet tonight, I don't know what mercy you need to show and what mercy you need to receive, but God knows. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.